All right. So, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, today, um, despite a bit of doubt um, regarding the um, inception, <laughs> which is an excellent movie, I think, of a new series um, on Dao De Ching, uh, sometimes called The Way and Its Power, Dao De, Dao De Ching, Chinese classic from Lao Tzu, or a compilation, actually. It's very... Authorship is disputed. So, at the risk of not completing the series, meaning reading through the entire 81 chapters of the Tao Te Ching, uh, I will start <laughs> the reading today. And there's a link. That's the basic link on the introduction to Tao Te Ching. Uh, there are many couple of pages I want to draw from today for the introductory class. There's the Wikipedia link. <clears throat> there is then the same as the initial link, but uh, chapter one, the initial link or the site that I'm going to be drawing from is a very old site that I found many years ago. It's called wengu.tartary.com and it has some classical or traditional standard translations of the of Chinese classics. Not only Tao Te Ching, this Wanggu page or site, also other classics uh, like Shi Jing or San Zhi Jing or Yi Ching, uh, as well as uh, the Art of War, Sun Tzu, and the poems and all sorts of things from some classical translators and I'm going to draw from Arthur Whaley and D.C. Lau uh, Arthur Whaley an American D.C. Lau a, a Chinese or Chinese American fellow uh, both are uh, were prolific translators of Chinese works as well as writers and thinkers in their own right uh, other translations on the page that you can untick on the right top are Julian French and, and Wilhelm, who is uh, the Richard Wilhelm, who gave the classic translation of I Ching into German, Richard Wilhelm. He was a colleague of Carl Jung, uh, and that Wilhelm translation to German, then into English, Carrie Baines, Wilhelm Baines' version of the I Ching, is the classic translation, and I've used it for decades. <laughs> So that's strongly recommended if you're interested in looking into the I Ching. Uh, but today we're going to look at the Tao Te Ching. Now, um, let me read a bit. Now, there are 81 chapters. <laughs> and thinking that we're going to do one chapter a week equals 81 weeks, which equals a year and a half. <laughs> this may go on for two years. Uh, it was this or... Um, some very hardcore Buddhist teaching, Sutta Nipata or Dhammapada. <clears throat> uh, we're getting to the <laughs> final uh, presentations that uh, that I can imagine for us in in a long series format. Uh, I think that I've covered Buddhism quite well or extensively, not as much with Taoism or Chinese tradition, 
you can look, there were three talks I gave a couple of years ago on the Analects of Confucius, and there's a very critical association between Confucius, Analects, Gongzi is the name, Confucius, the westernized version of himself, Analects, one of the classic books of Confucius or Confucianism, a linkage between Confucianism and Taoism, which is uh, presented by, I believe it's Whaley's commentary <clears throat> from the first link that I gave, Wangu Tartary, um, Dao De Ching, number zero, meaning page zero, before chapter one. And I believe it's Whaley's comment that the Dao De Ching is the philosophical, count- philosophical counterpart the rival or complement to the Analects of Confucius. Okay, so uh, many Sinologists or thinkers about Chinese culture, writers, thinkers, lovers of Chinese culture, uh, have a sense that Chinese culture philosophically, intellectually, uh, and many much culturally is um, the, the offspring, the child, is influenced profoundly by these twin streams, Confucian and Taoist, uh, Analects and other books of Confucius, and Dao De Ching or um, uh, Zhuangzi, Lao Zhuang, so Lao Tzu, Zhuangzi, as the authors of primary Taoist classics, <clears throat> Chinese culture um, with a yin and a yang, or with a male and a female, or with a logical structuring versus a free-form, um, um, non, what Alan Watts would call non-forcing Wu Wei. His translation of Wu Wei means non-action. No, Wu is no. Wei could be action, could be force, could be control. Uh, the Taoist is very um, smooth, and the Confucian is very well-ordered and um, angular. <laughs> so, <clears throat> anyway, let's look at this. So this is, I believe, from Whaley's introduction to Dao De Ching. Dao De Ching is philosophical counterpart, which could be a rival sometimes, and also a complement for those who can integrate, to the Analects of Confucius. <clears throat> These two classics are the foundational works of their respective traditions, Taoism and Confucianism, may be said to constitute the yin and yang of Chinese culture. And I, so I agree with his point. The Tao Te Ching is primarily reflective in nature, while the Analects is more activist. I would say that the Tao Te Ching is yin, the Analects yang. The Tao Te Ching is like water <laughs> and the wind, uh, water wind, which is feng shui, fu sui in Japanese. And the Analects, a little bit like more earth and fire, uh, structuring and ordering and disciplined uh, how to establish a society particularly and personal conduct in accord with with natural law uh, governing um, the organization of of many people in in a harmonious group that's pretty much what Confucianism is all about and they'll see as we go on that there are two aspects to both the Tao Te Ching book of 81 chapters or 81 sections, as well as the first and second half, uh, where the first half is considered 
more meditative, reflective, and the second half is considered more political. And so, <clears throat> um, Dao, the Tao Te Ching, while it particularly focuses, I, I mean, Western translators and Western students of Taoism are not uh, politicians. <laughs> However, uh, politicians, particularly what's called legalism, uh, which is very controlling and somewhat fascistic or the uh, basis of Chinese fascism and uh, all sorts of authoritarian traditions, uh, some of them draw heavily from the Tao Te Ching. Uh, and some, and that there is some question about the Tao Te Ching authorship. Um, the idea that Lao Tzu was some, some guy who was uh, an official who wrote down his his comments or his philosophy of life before he went off to the western mountains uh, about 6th century BC so we're talking about time contiguous with Gautama right? this is 2500 years old or so this document uh, to say that he wrote it is the common view but uh, there is some I, there is some scholarship that has a sense that it's a compilation of multiple authors and that's very possible some of whom were more politically oriented, some of whom were, were more mystic, meditative, quietist, hermit-oriented, hermit-supporting, meaning the Tao Te Ching as a document for, for solitary men and women, particularly guys, who go off out of society uh, and seek um, a, a Taoist version of, of enlightenment and freedom. A little different than the Buddhist Hindu version of awakening and uh, mukti, moksha, liberation. So part of what we can also, what you'll also see is the difference between Chinese mind and the Indic uh, of India mind, which gave rise to Buddhism and Hinduism. Here we're looking at the cynic, S-I-N-I-C, the cynic mind, not cynical, but S-I-N-I-C, sinologist, sinologist or, or of sinology, S-I-N, Latin for China, or the East, or whatever, um, however it was understood. Sinology, this is the Chinese mind uh, approach, um, a, a sort of complementary approach to a more disciplined, uh, this, is, this is the more free-form water, wind and water approach to personal development, and uh, the way of uh, being with others, relationship, as well as ordering or uh, establishing harmonious society. <clears throat> it's the counterpart to the more structured, left-brain, controlling, perhaps, uh, Confucian view. So, while Whaley said Tao Te Ching is primarily reflective, meaning philosophical, doubt and analects being more activist, being a little bit more involved in teaching leaders how to run their, their kingdom, their fiefdom, uh, he goes on, both works consist of pithy lines mixed in, with, mixed in with longer passages. The analects is rooted in concrete historical settings and deals with specific persons and problems versus the Tao Te Ching without obvious historical markers, gives the impression of timeless universality. It's, it's very abstract and purely philosophical, and you'll see that as we get into it. Beyond saying that, 
These works have traditionally been associated with Confucius and Lao Tzu. Both works address central themes of a dramatic period of Chinese history, 500 to 350 BC. There's a lot of trouble in China. Um, they make trouble for themselves too. Or negative entities are uh, afoot there, have been, are, just like uh, everywhere else. And there's no scholarly consensus on how to date or define either one. So we're talking at least a few hundred years before Yeshua appeared, contiguous with Gautama and even Heraclitus. Um, so there was massive philosophical um, activity in the several centuries before Yeshua appeared, which is very interesting. Uh, now, and the final point here is one, uh, th this is maybe Whaley's comment, which is one way of looking at the, the, the Dao De Ching. He wrote, Dao De Ching is primarily a political treatise. Well, uh, not everybody would agree. It's by bringing this anarchic, and so, you know, everybody's got their own thing. You've got to <laughs> take what they give and then uh, make it your own or uh, trim and copy-paste and uh, modify and adjust and uh, see that everybody's got their bias. I do, too. Um, Whaley's was <clears throat> partly, was certainly a non-mystical here, yet he, I think he did, ju did justice to the Chinese original. It's by bringing this anarchic, called anarchy, right, an ecological sensibility to the operations of human governance that government in its relationship to community can become Wu Wei, free of coercive activity, free to orchestrate the full talents of its constituent population. So yeah, that that is called governance without manipulation, control, and deception. Uh, it wasn't much act, wasn't much practiced on Earth in the last. Uh, it wasn't much practiced on Earth in the, the entirety of the three D cycle. Uh, but other people will look at the Tao Te Ching and say this is not only political or it can be seen that way or some chapters are very politically oriented but <clears throat> um, that's uh, one way of interpreting its function or, or, or application is political for the ruler ordering society in principle with some in, in harmony with some principles like Wu Wei or non-coercion, non-control, non-manipulation. Uh, <clears throat> that's just one approach. And if it's useful, briefly on Lao Tzu, um, very, it's written here, very little is known about Lao Tzu, so little that even his surname is clouded in uncertainties. On the <clears throat> page from Wikipedia on Lao Tzu, there's the link. It's uh, agreed that um, he's considered, in general, yes, the founder of philosophical Taoism. <clears throat> Meanwhile, there were other documents that came out later that were more strictly political, political Taoism, uh, as well as um, practice-oriented or mystical not philosophical, but mystical in terms of Tai Chi, Qigong, right? Uh, secret essence, body transforming, uh, bone marrow strengthening treatises coming out of Taoists. Uh, talking about Chinese medicine and astrology and uh, very close to pranayama, 
from Hindi, you know, Indian yoga, meaning breath manipulation, Taoist meditation. Um, there, there are many uh, non-political uh, writings out of Taoist schools in the last 2,500 years. Uh, <clears throat> but we're going back to the the fount, the the summit of the mountain uh, from which. Uh, the multiple streams of multiple applications or multiple biases or Taoist approaches came forth. Political Taoism, mystical Taoism, health and well-being, uh, medical, medicinal Taoism, Taoist Chinese medicine, Taoist approach to astronomy, so Taoist sexual activity, Tantra, uh, as time went on, influences from India continued, uh, and Taoism took in a lot from Indian mysticism of various stripes, and then uh, blended with Confucianism and, and uh, became something called Neo-Confucianism. And so, it all things get complicated as you go down from the mountaintop, <laughs> from the summit, from the founder, from the original dispensation, like. Gautama and Dhammapada, uh, Lao Tzu and Tao Te Ching. Um, you know, <laughs> things get complicated over the over the centuries. So, uh, second paragraph on the page: semi-legendary figure Lao Tzu, usually portrayed as sixth century BC contemporary of Confucius. Some people felt he lived later. Uh, and then his work has been embraced by both various anti-authoritarian movements like um, quietism <laughs> guys who go off to the mountains uh, and do practice or live a quiet life in harmony with nature and Chinese legalism which as I said is uh, borders on the fascist actually so that's interesting and you'll see in in the chapters one after another Sometimes they don't sound like the one that we just read. They sound different. The tone seems different. So uh, that's something to bear in mind too. Uh, let me uh, just jump in because, in 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 a way, at least to me, uh, talking about the uh, philosophy, uh, the the historical background of authorship and development of Taoism in Chinese culture over the centuries relationship to Confucianism, um, its role as a counterbalance to certain tendencies in Chinese culture, uh, all of that um, is less important than jumping into the text. If you want to know more about the you know, historicity or the scholarship on Lao Tzu, the scholarship on the, the evolution of Taoism in Chinese culture, the relationship between the heart of Chinese culture or the nature of Taoist influence in the core principles of Chinese culture, you can study more on your own. Uh, so let's just go to chapter one. And the plan will be uh, one chapter per week, uh, and uh, as long as I can hold out. The, the first point is that I am no Chinese language expert, I am no Chinese culture expert, I am no Taoist expert, I am no expert on any of this or anything at all. Uh, this is just my perspective. 
based on what we'll do is using these two translations from Whaley and D.C. Lau. Some people think that they're old-fashioned, because uh, Whaley's came out in 34, 1934. D.C. Lau, I don't know. Some people think, oh, they're old-fashioned, or these are just, uh, you know, hoary old scholars who, don't, who are not in touch with the real life. Uh, I'm not sure about that, because I think that they really have an uh, internal high standard of, of remaining true to the uh, best translation of the Chinese words, which is very difficult. There's no grammatical... There's no, um, there are no punctuations of commas and periods. It's just one long run-on text, each chapter. And various interpretations can be made. Uh, but the less modern, the better, I think. And yet, yes, <laughs> there are some old translations that are weird and, and off. So everybody's got their own view of uh, which translation best matches the spirit of Da Te Ching. Uh, same thing with any any translation like Dhammapada. Uh, you got to find a translation that you trust, but um, looking at multiple translations, you'll see that some people were very loose, modern people, very loose with their terms and uh, put it into their own words more than I think the text deserves, or they didn't do justice to the text because it becomes their own <clears throat> um, their their own product more so than simply trying to bring forth the heart of what the speaker Lao Tzu or the text intends and so there's some people that'll try modern much more modern translations that I just would stay away from so let's just look at I'm gonna go read through the first, the, the Whaley translation, and then the D.C. Lao translation, and then give commentary. From Arthur Whaley, <coughs> Tao Te Ching, Chapter 1. The way, the capital W, the way, the Tao, that can be told of, or spoken of, is not an unvarying way. The names that can be named are not unvarying names. It was from the nameless that heaven and earth sprang. The named is but the mother that rears the ten thousand creatures, each after its kind. Truly, quote, this was a quote, only he that rids himself forever of desire can see the secret essences. He that has never rid himself of desire can see only the outcomes. These two things issued from the same mold, these two things being uh, secret essences and outcomes, but nevertheless are different in name. The, the quote, same mold, M-O-U-L-D, or, or core, for, core source, this same mold, <laughs> we can, meaning what gave rise to secret essences and outcomes, the same mold, we can but call the mystery, or rather the, quote, darker than any mystery, the doorway whence issued all secret essences. <laughs> and so we've got a few uh, principles in play here. First is the Tao, the way. Uh, 
the way or the Tao, meaning what is the Tao? <laughs> it's both the source of all as well as the nature of all. I mean, we can say intelligent infinity, but intelligent infinity, and you'll see the limitations uh, of Ra's word. <laughs> Everybody's got their limitations and their bias. So, <clears throat> uh, Ra talks about the ultimate. We're talking here about cosmogenesis, and we're talking about uh, how one can be aware of source. Cosmogenesis, the process by which the cosmos came to be, um, refers us back to the source of all that come to be. The source of all that's come to be, that all that is, the source of that, the source of all, is one if and a creator, or intelligent infinity, also spoken of as the way. Also spoken of as here the mystery, with a capital M, or the darker than any mystery. <clears throat> Interestingly, if we go back to the ancient Greek and we look at a word, the etymology of what's called of the word mysterium, Jung used this word. Mysterium means the mystery with a capital M. Initially, it comes eventually, or, or at root, it comes from a Greek term mue, mueo, mueo, meanings I initiate, <clears throat> I initiate you, or I gets initiated, from muo, which means I shut, means shut down, shut in, closed in, means um, uh, hidden, initiation as uh, a, a deepest, with a, a process of uh, transformation of that which is deepest or most core, most essential, most primal, uh, that from which all issues. So, cosmologically, cosmogenetically, we can say that's one intelligent, you know, the one infinite creator, intelligent infinity, God, um, the source of the Logos. Uh, let there be light. Light is, you know, the basis of the seven rays, intelligent energy, very much activated or accessed in sixth chakra. This is uh, subsequent to source, or a manifestation of source. But the source is the hidden. Intelligent infinity is the darker than dark. The darker than any mystery. Uh, shut in. Or uh, an init uh, uh, the, prime, the, the, the primary initiator. The initiator of creation. The one if it greater. But it's not a guy. It's not a guy with a beard. It's not a gal. It's way beyond gender. It's beyond light. It's beyond differentiation. And that's why uh, Lao Tzu is saying the way which is both source, the nature, the source and its manifestation. And as I said, if you want to know identity, true nature, you've got to look at the, the source of, of that whose true nature you're seeking to know. What's your true nature? Well, what's your source? Uh, Ra said self is a being of infinite worth. See all beings, see the creator. Okay, so our true nature, which is our true identity, from the perspective of raw material, and, and ultimately <laughs> in line with, with the highest Advaita Vedanta and Taoism. Uh, but, but Taoism didn't get into that at this point, at least not in chapter one. Uh, they're all agreed 
no, Buddhism is not, because Buddhism really talks about anatta. Uh, but Hinduism talks about uh, Satchitananda and uh, the union of uh, Jivatman and Paramatman, the personal soul and the cosmic soul, the capital S with the self, capital S of self, the the one self, uh, as true nature. Uh, ultimately, not different than its source which is um, Paramatman or Parabrahman, you know, the source of of all manifestation. And so the source is also the true nature of all that that manifests from it. And yet it's it's, um, pre-differentiation, right? Infinity cannot be qualified other than to say it's a unified infinity or an infinite unity. But actually, form hasn't emerged yet. And so, the way we describe anything um, is concept-based. Those concepts are limiting. It's big, means it's not small. It's bright, means it's not dark. Well, actually, the source of all uh, is of all quality and beyond all quality all quality comes, all quality, bright and dark, big and small, um, simple and complicated, all of that, this is a, these are conceptualizations or descriptions of quality. But actually, um, the one infinite creator or the source of all is pre-qualified. It's not qualified. It hasn't yet been modified. It's not relative. It's absolute before relative comes absolute, which we can only talk about. In Buddhism, it's called, you know, uh, the two truths, the teaching on the two truths, the two views, right? Absolute and relative. And so, what's what's absolutely true cannot be described by relative language. The way that can be told any word, any verbiage, any description, uh, which is conceptual differentiation, delimited, it's infinite. Means it's not unlimited, it's not finite? <laughs> no. Actually, the the appearance of the finite, right, like form, like dimensions, like people and bodies and time and space, it all appears to be quite for, fi- finite and limited. Its source is infinity, or its source is pre-light, pre-luminal. <laughs> so, uh, and and so infinity manifests finity, and the true nature of finity is infinity. Or all finite descriptions of the apparently finite are empty, sunya, and um, insubstantial, anatta. <laughs> so uh, we can talk and we cannot talk. But if you want to talk about uh, the absolute beyond the relative the source of totality, or the source of mind, the source of consciousness, um, words fail. And that's and that's a core Taoist understanding that went into Chinese Chan, or, you know, what became Zen Buddhism in Japan. Uh, and Chinese Chan and Japanese Zen owe much, much, much to a Taoist formulation of, uh, of reality and the path and princ- core principles. Core principles we see in Chinese Chan, which came basically, you know, the time of Yeshua and after, last 2,000 years, 
um, from the start and increasingly borrowed much from philosophical Taoism. Um, likewise, Japanese Zen coming out of Chinese Chan. And so the, the source of all here is being called the mystery or the darker than any mystery, the mysterium shut in, hidden, of initiation, that which initiates, the prime initiator of creation, is the mysterium that's shut in, darker than anything, and beyond, uh, in, it's inconceivable, back to Gautama's five inconceivables or imponderables, don't worry about it, the mind of the Buddha is one, and the mind of the Buddha, you know, approximates the awareness of the Logos, which approximates uh, its source, uh, its nature, which is intelligent infinity, or the darker than any mystery, the the unspeakable, that that which shall not, that which cannot be spoken, because it's it's all and nothing, and greater than all and nothing. <laughs> it's the source of of whole and part. And so, the the uh, interesting. Hey, I'm really going to be able to finish this in the first hour. How about that? Looking. Uh, so, let me read the second <laughs> translation. This is why I wanted to get into this because it's kind of free. It's uh, leaping and leaping among the clouds and the mountain peaks and the valleys as well. Translation from D.C. Lao: <clears throat> The way that can be spoken of is not the constant way. The name that can be named is not the constant name. The nameless was the beginning of heaven and earth. The named was the mother of the myriad creatures. Hence, always rid yourself of desires in order to observe its secrets. But always allow yourself to have desires in order to observe its manifestations. These two are the same, but diverge in name as they issue forth. Being the same, they are called mysteries. Mystery upon mystery, the gateway, the gateway of the manifold secrets. So, while the first few paragraphs in Lao's translation uh, look like they, to me, feel like they improve upon Whaley's, the last one gets a little confused because he doesn't make clear which are the two. Which are the two? Uh, the way of ridding yourself of desire and the way of allowing yourself to have desire? Um, the two here really is the nameless and the named. And the nameless is the source of the named. And any naming cannot um, fully express or uh, embody or, man or or describe or explain the nameless. So the nameless, you know, or source is called nameless because all names fail. All names are, um, excuse me, limited relative differentiations. Um, and and that e accords totally with Ra's, uh, you know, philosophical. Um, the, the metaphysical philosophy of cosmogenesis. Metaphysical philosophy of cosmogenesis. Uh, Ra saying that, that uh, the creator, the one infinite creator, uh, discerned the concept of finity, uh, which, is, which gave rise to light, or the logoi, 
which gave rise to light. Meanwhile, light is a concept, and creation shows the illusion of limits. So light is conceptual in the mind of the infinite, or in, in awareness of infinity, uh, any experience of infinity and light is both illusory and conceptual. Conceptual, what's the difference between this is concept and not concept? Well, the idea is that uh, creation and light is illusory uh, because it's not substantial. Hey, hey, back to anatta. So, what is that? Well, <laughs> the Taoists are very comfortable with insubstantiality, much more than the Buddhists and the Hindus. And that's why uh, I have a great respect for Taoism, and that's why, I mean, I started reading Taoism 40 years ago, uh, and I'm no expert on it at all. And uh, you'll find some people who know more than me will find uh, I misinterpret certain things or my interpretation is shallow sometimes as we go through the 81 verses or chapters here. Sure. Um, uh, Taoism, <laughs> Taoism is in many ways a a distillation of of the enlightened state is a philosophical distillation or a distillation into philosophical verses of um, what may be uh, a near enlightened state from a Chinese perspective not cynic and quite different than the Indian mind and so okay uh, we have the nameless or the unnameable source, which could be called the darker than any mystery, which could be called intelligent infinity, which is the uh, the Tao before manifestation. It can't be named. Um, it could be called infinity, or uh, intelligent infinity. Fine. It can be personified as a being like the One Evangelator, or God, or Parabrahman. But actually, personifications also are uh, relative, and differentiations that um, don't do justice to the totality of what we're talking about. Uh, the totality of infinity, or the nature of infinity, is prior to personalization, is prior to anthropomorphizing, is prior to any sense of a, of a personhood. The, the experience or the phenomenon of apparent personhood is subsequent to <laughs> uh, infinity manifesting. Infinity manifests, and one of the ways it manifests is apparent personhood. Prior to apparent personhood, uh, <laughs> there's the one infinite creator or intelligent infinity or the Tao or the darker than any mystery pre-individuation, pre-individuated. And the um, way I can tell who's, who's what, who's where, meaning which person or teacher is finished, um, is that the one that's free of anatta, mistaken belief in anatta, free of, uh, you know, false um, identity, uh, is the one who's finished. And um, some other have spoken to Nityananda as a force of nature. Um, Gautama also, I would assume, but Nityananda was alive 100 years ago, you know, 50 years ago, but 60 years ago. Uh, he, as a force of nature, has become spiritually depersonified. He returns to the condition uh, 
um, which is associated with uh, the term intelligent infinity, which is not a personified, anthropomorphized matter. Intelligent infinity is not a guy or a person, but we can say the one infinite creator, which is you know easier for people who like personifying. But actually, uh, and that Buddhism is basically not anti-deistic uh, or anti-theistic uh, or anti-god or there's no notion of no god. Buddhism uh, con- Buddhism speaks of the ultimate in a non-personified way. Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, they all speak, and lots of tradition, lots of Native American traditions, speak of the ultimate or the absolute in a personified way. It doesn't have to be so. And if you've ever seen teachers who, if you've ever seen, I don't know, you know, it's all subjective, right? Who can say that what I see is true? Meaning I can see that this guy is finished because he's broken out of, um, he's broken the eighth fetter in Buddhism, which is the, the false sense of selfhood, the sense of selfhood or separative identity, when <laughs> identity is source, which is non-separative or infinity, unified infinity. I am the one infinite, I am the one infinite creator. But it ain't a guy. It ain't a gal. <laughs> it's pre-personification. It's not personified. There's no personhood involved. And that's called a force of nature. Uh, meanwhile, you can think of it as a personified way. Taoism is not that way. Um, Chan Buddhism, Zen, and and Buddhism as a whole is not really personifying of the ultimate. <clears throat> uh, and so, the Tao is prior to differentiation. Any explanation doesn't uh, truly approximate. You can say it approximates it but it's a poor substitute to say darker than any mystery um, the doorway whence issued all secret essences is a kind of a woo-woo way of talking about it uh, but actually um, uh, <clears throat> no words fail in speaking of, of the source of mind and the source of awareness obviously what we're talking about is a is a there's a trinity here. There is uh, the there there is uh, the source or the doorway. Oh, people by the bamboo tree. Strange things always happen when I talk. Uh, the doorway whence issued all secret essences is akin to intelligent infinity and the source of light. Uh, but it's actually, you've got a trinity of what Ra would say, the one infinite creator or intelligent infinity, which I would say is akin to the darker than any mystery, which gives rise to two different things. One is um, so-called secret essences, and the other one is called outcomes. Uh, what's being spoken here is that Subsequent or or subsequent to the movement of infinity, <laughs> when infinity moves, it gives rise the action of free will upon love, gives rise to light. Right, the action of free will upon love gives rise to light, and light is the true nature of energy, which is called the true nature of the seven dimensions or seven rays is light, 
intelligent energy that come out of the movement, the action of free will, law first, first law, free will, upon the second law, love, love. Action of free will upon love gives rise to light. Light, it appears to me that, that all the differentiation of the seven rays and octaves, these are the outcomes. Their source is logoic, which is associated with secret essences. But both the seven-ray, seven-dimensional manifestations, which is energy, matter and energy, and beings, and, and time and space, these outcomes come out of logoic principles, or the action of these core laws, free will upon love, um, that is the logos. The logos, you can say, is born of the action of free will upon love, you can say that the Logos or the Logoi, Galactic, Solar, and Higher Self, uh, are themselves um, triadic, or have a triad uh, of essential principles, uh, will, love, light. To me, the Logoic stage, midway between intelligent infinity and the seven rays and dimensionalities and energy, the middle phase of the Logoic is, I think, the secret essences the principles. The principles are that which the outcomes depend upon or are guided, or were, were established based upon. The establishment of uh, form depends on energy. Uh, depend, and that those uh, multitudinous or count, uncountable, the uncountable uh, manifestation which is called the 10,000 creatures, the 10,000 things, uh, is the level of matter, energy, form, individual, apparently individualized beings, time and space, seven rays, the soul evolution and cosmic plan of octaves. This is um, the realm of the 10,000 creatures, 10,000 things, the realm of outcomes, that is born of uh, that that is established by secret essences, meaning there's a mid phase between uh, source and outcome, uh, and the mid phase is the logoic, and that's basically triadic, or the principle of three. Three. The purpose of three is for the one to give rise to the seven, and the seven is polarized we'll see in chapter 2, uh, the nature of polarity. So, the, the, um, source, the, the absolute source, um, as Ra calls it, intelligent infinity, which can be personified into so-called one infinite creator, if you like personifying, which is much more comfortable for humans that have a sense of self and haven't broken the eighth fetter in Buddhism yet. Uh, <clears throat> The Tao as source, as absolute, Satchit Ananda, you know, beyond uh, that which that which manifests the three principle, the three laws, the, the the infinitude of Trinity, the Trinitarian infinitude, meaning will, love, light, right, and and then its first action of um, the the Tao intelligent infinity or or you know it's it, it's the same it's basically the idea is that 
the seven or the ten thousand the ten thousand creatures is a Chinese poetic way of talking of uh, seven dimensional octaves with countless beings, time and space, uh, matter, form, energy, uh, body, mind, spirit. Uh, that realm uh, came out of a trinity, which is basically um, the three principles. The three principles, uh, law of love, uh, law of free will, law of love, love of light, these are, I would say, the secret essences um, whose, uh, upon whose basis, upon, uh, upon such basis is um, the seven-dimensional time and space octaves formed. The time, you know, light comes out of uh, this interplay of secret essences. Uh, and, and heaven and earth are simply uh, of the 10,000 creatures. Uh, and so, in, the, in Genesis, right, in the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God what it was, El, Elohim, El, I don't know what the original Greek or Hebrew was for the word God. But the Logos, the word, was with God and was God. The Logos, as the second, as the manifestation of intel, of infinity, as the word, um, is the generator of light. Let there be light came out of the word, or letting there be light is the manifestation of the word. Uh, it's not the same as its source, but it's not apart from its source. There's a differentiation uh, of the, the 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 true nature of the source, and so um, before there was um, before there were the ten thousand things, you have the principles upon which they manifest. The principles upon which they manifest is the Trinity which is basically, you know, Satchit Ananda, or uh, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, or Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or will, love, light, or will, love, light, and intelligent activity. This is the Bailey Seven Rays. So there's a, the, the passage from the Mysterium, the nameless, the unnameable, infinity, pre-personalized, pre-individuated, pre-luminal to uh, the 10,000 creatures and the 10,000 things and the octaves of seven dimensions and countless subplanes. Uh, from the first to the second is through uh, the, the Trinitarian or, or a triadic um, a triadic working of secret essences or essential logoic principles. The logos in its active form being uh, triadic or of a three uh, that gives rise to the seven and the ten thousand things. So if you want to understand the principal philosophical basis of the octaves and the ten thousand things and soul evolution and cosmic plan, you have to be free of desire. Which, <laughs> you know, goes back to um, the practice of meditation and samadhi and an understanding that uh, mind, you know, silence of mind at a steady state, Ra said. Silence of mind at a steady state, which is samadhi, 
calm abiding, concentration, equanimity, non-proliferation of thought or minimal um, project, you know, production of thought, quiet mind, uh, which comes <laughs> from a lot of practice and also a lot of life experience in uh, going through trial and error. Uh, having desires, experiencing consequences, and refining those desires, as Ross said. All desires, you know, proper for the entity in the right time kind of thing. Uh, if one keeps seeking uh, love light, which really means uh, heartful, um, unconditional accepting, um, and honest seeing, clearly knowing, uh, discernment, wisdom, uh, desires will uh, self-upgrade, <laughs> uh, will self-refine uh, over o over lifetimes, <laughs> over multiple lifetimes. So, uh, I think that we can see how um, there's a, a triadic, uh, a, a threefold process here, or a three-aspected um, philosophy being presented here. Uh, there's that which is uh, nameless, which gave rise to all. Any name doesn't fit. Then there is what it gave rise to, which is manifestation, which is ultimately uh, the, the, the world, with a capital W, which is the octaves, the dimensions, um, the 10,000 creatures, the 10,000 things. To know this, <clears throat> one must do inner work. Uh, but it's certainly, and, and the uh, juxtaposition of desirelessness and desire is akin to being in the creation and um, knowing what's prior, what was what is prior to the creation, which is also the true nature. So you see, the true nature of of manifestation is um, no different than its source. So true nature is source. Identity, true ident once uh, any the true identity of anything, or the true the real identity, what anything really is. Uh, ontological essence is its source. And so uh, this is explaining uh, the process by which the unnameable gives rise to the countless forms that can be named, how freedom from desire allows us to see beyond, uh, see the true nature of manifestation. Uh, which is its source, and the process by which source gave rise to manifestation, if, uh, to the extent that we um, work, we know our desires and consequences and our values, we have uh, evolving values, uh, which is called spiritual seeking, and know our desires and their value, right? Uh, seeking this leads to a better outcome than seeking that. And this and that are, uh, are born of uh, certain intentions. You know, 
I can see a person acting a certain way. I know why he is. Or I have some idea why he is. I have some sense of the, the causative principles or the principles that are causal and gave rise to the manifestation. Meaning, <laughs> somebody's mind state. Their behavior and their speech, speech and action, coming out of mind states. That's uh, psychological mindedness. Likewise, one can know that for um, creation itself. Form came from the formless. The named comes from the nameless. The differentiated comes from the pre-differentiated. Um, the many comes from the one, but the one comes from um, the mysterium, the boundless. And so, uh, here, <laughs> at the start of Tao Te Ching, uh, Lao Tzu, or whoever wrote this, uh, is uh, starting from uh, starting by um, a very <laughs> enigmatic and brief um, snapshot perspective teaching on the source uh, of all the source of all that is and its nature and the differentiation between source and um, manifestation their differentiation and identity and how it is that um, certain self-transformation is needed to know all this you can't know this just by by reading it once and say oh yeah yeah sure you can do that but you're you're faking you're fooling yourself <laughs> I mean I mean I'm 57 now and I really have a sense now that I don't think I could say I knew much of anything until I was 50 <laughs> or uh, only until after 50 do I start to realize um, what I know really means <laughs> I can say I know this 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 I can say I know it but actually um, knowing what the knowing means is deep is true knowing real knowing <laughs> is knowing the principles uh, of that which you know the causal the, the very subtle causal matrix that gave rise um, to the manifestation so if I see I can say I there's a tree with countless leaves and one single trunk uh, I can say I know it I know the tree it's got a long brown trunk and it's got uh, countless leaves green leaves dancing in the wind well uh, I don't know it if I don't know the invisible portions called the root structure and I don't know it until I know the unification or the the functional relations or the functional the functional relations and ultimately the identity of the root with the trunk and the and the canopy the root is the body <laughs> the trunk is the mind the leaves are the spirit uh, you won't know mind-body, uh, or let's just say, <laughs> you can't know. Yeah, you can't know mind-body unless you know spirit, and you can't know mind-body-spirit unless you know its source, which is ultimately going to be Atman. And you can't know source or Atman if you don't know the logos, and you can't know the logos until you know infinity. And yet, you know, we're going up, and so. Uh, there are levels of knowing and it takes decades <laughs> really and I don't think I know any of this too well anyway um, we're just using words but as well as words can be used um, you know it's useful to try 
So here at the start of Dao De Ching, Lao Tzu or whoever, uh, Lao Lao Tan, Lao Er, uh, basically is um, pointing us towards um, the unnameable source of all that we may name, and the required qualities of self-transformation needed to know this, and that uh, ultimately the the pre-conceptual cannot be known conceptually. And ultimately, this is a secret. <laughs> this is a mystery. I mean, in infinity, intelligent infinity is a cute phrase, but we have no idea of, of, it, of the experience of it. Or we have some idea, but it's very limited, and the experience is not the idea. <laughs> and so, the idea is that which is told. <laughs> the experience is that which it is. Uh, and so, right at the start, before we get into social living and meditation and politics and group activities and this and that, and the ruler doing this and the ruler doing that, uh, chapter one uh, starts at the beginning, before the beginning. And just to conclude, um, I want to read the first, uh, the, what's written here at the top of the page as the first um, column on the right. The words are Tao Ke Tao Fei Chang Tao. So Tao Ke Tao Ke Tao Fei Chang Tao. Tao Ke Tao or Tao Ke Tao Ke means the Tao, right? And if you put your mouse over first character top right. Tao, direction, way, method, road, skill, measure, word, speak, all countless <laughs> definitions. But uh, here, I think way is the best. Um, the way that k is uh, the way that k dao is fei chang dao. Fei chang means not constant, not always, not common. And so to say that the, the word, the, the Tao that can be named is not the correct name, Where where's the word name? There's no name in any of these characters. It's Fei is not. So Tao Ke, Tao Ke Tao. Uh, the critical words here are Ke and Chang. Tao Ke is not uh, Dao is not Chang. <laughs> Dao Ke is um, Ke means being able to. Ke bu I can, I can't. That's really how it's used. So the Dao that is operational, <laughs> the Dao that's functional, the Dao that you can do something with, uh, that Dao is not the Chang Dao, Fei Chang Dao. Um, so the Tao that is operational, what you think is the Tao that you're doing something with, like a concept, or you're thinking about, or you're trying to uh, define and explain, that worked upon Tao, full of your concepts, is not the Chang Tao. What's the Chang Tao? It's the uh, eternal, 
or unchanging. That's you know their definition of un, uh, Whaley saying unvarying, and Lao saying constant. That's okay. Um, it's a word. What is that word? Tongue. Tongue. It's a ascending tone. My tones are bad. Sorry. You can criticize me, but the 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 Dao that you're talking about, uh, and that's why he said. That's why he used the. D.C. Lao said, "Told they're using the word named or told of. It's really the Tao that can be uh, that one can one can do one can work with <laughs> or operationalize or functionalize or that can be uh, can be worked with by your thinking, by your talking, is not eternal Tao." Is not the real Tao that is unchanging. Uh, that is forever. That is beyond change. And so that's how difficult <laughs> translation is uh, from these Chinese, you know, classical Chinese uh, language uh, character and writing 2,500 years ago. But it's basically like saying that <laughs> uh, any discussion of 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 source is not source. <laughs> any word, any talk about the ultimate, absolute source, creator, creative principle, uh, before differentiation, any talk of that is not it. Okay, well, you can't talk about enlightenment either. You can't talk about nirvana. That's why this is one of the imponderables. So the origin of the universe, cosmology, and uh, awakening, or the mind of a Buddha, both of two of the these two are imponderable. Were, were of the set of imponderables, inconceivables in Buddhism, early Buddhism. So, uh, the the uh, source of creation, or the essential creative uh, cosmogenetic cosmogenesis. Uh, um, is beyond our differentiated concept. We just can't get it. Okay? And our talking is not what it is. Likewise, any talking or understanding or thinking about complete and perfect awakening is not it. Okay, fine. So, don't worry about it. <laughs> worry about the path, not the goal. If you take care of the path as much as you think about the goal, you'll find yourself closer and closer and less and less worried about the goal because your experience of the path is more and more harmonious. So, that's it for today. And next time, we're going to go to um, Chapter 2 and um, see a little bit more about uh, the 10,000 things, 10,000 creatures, uh, what issues forth from the nameless and unnameable, uh, particularly polarity. And so, this first chapter gives us a sense of... Um, infinity and the one, the two, the three, and the ten thousand things. Uh, one, three, seven, <laughs> we can say, like the talk on cosmic numerics. The next chapter gives us this, the two at the end. One, three, seven, two. Meaning the polarized nature or polarity and the ten thousand things. So, I hope this was uh, pleasant for you. Uh, thank you <laughs> to all that have uh, uh, worked the ground and tilled the soil 
uh, on this um, great, on this classic, the Tao De classic. Ching means classic. Tao De Ching, Yi Jing, the Tao De Ching. Tao De Tao is the way. De is virtue or power. The way and its power is the translation from Wei Lei. So thank you very much for uh, being here and uh, Wei Li and Lao for your work. Uh, take good care. See you next week and good night.